Good afternoon everybody and welcome to Transcending Together with Julianne and Lee. Good afternoon, beautiful and amazing human beings, and welcome to Transcending Together. Hello from Julianne. And hello from Lee. It's lovely to have you with us again. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? We missed a couple. I needed a personal break, and then because of that, we missed last week's as well. But we are back today with... Raring to go. Yeah, hopefully lots to talk about and lots of interesting things going on in the world, right? I suppose, did you see what Suella Braverman's been up to lately? (laughs) I have. I try not to watch the news, but sometimes you just can't help it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. At what point do you get to where it's just a step too far? It's just too much and it's just completely unacceptable. She was talking. There were two things actually that came up over the weekend. I think the first one was around she was saying that refugees are pretending to be gay as an excuse to be refugees. So I suppose if you're coming from a staunchly Islamic country, say Afghanistan or Iran, you're then going to say, oh, because I'm gay, that's why I'm running away. And the other absolutely abhorrent thing that she was talking about was how she was saying that, what was it, multiculturalism? Multiculturalism. Multiculturalism. Yeah, multiculturalism has failed. And yeah, I was thinking about that and I was just thinking, she is a beneficiary of multiculturalism. Her parents are immigrants and she is, in a weird way, she is a poster child for immigration and multiculturalism. Because basically the daughter of immigrants has risen to the second most powerful position in the land. So for her to turn around and say it's failed, well, I guess it's failed because it's produced someone as hateful and vile as she is. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. She should be using that to her advantage to say, look, look at me. Look at my background, look where I've come from and look how far I've got. And let that be a a shining example of how multiculturalism is working in this country. Yeah. One biggest belief. It, It does. And I just really don't understand how someone, it's this classic case of pulling up the ladder once you're on board type of thing and saying to hell with everyone else. And in many ways, it's systematic of the absolute train smash that has become the Tory party. And there was a thing over the weekend, which I posted on Facebook because I thought it was quite funny, where ahead of the Tory party conference this week, which I'm sure is going to give us plenty to talk about next week, the Tory party conference this week, they were saying that in the run-up to it over the weekend, MPs were saying, the problem is the electorate just doesn't know what we stand for. And I was like, no, I think we all know pretty much what you stand for. I think you've been quite clear on that matter. So I think what a lot of the MPs are finding is that the things they stand for don't resonate with the voters. But of course, nobody wants to actually say that for fear of being torn down by the right-wing media. And speaking of people getting torn down, I don't know that we've spoken about Russell Brand. Did we have any conversations about no, him? We haven't, that whole thing? we haven't. We haven't mentioned him in our discussions. At yeah, Royal where do you land on right, that? Yeah, there's always. There's always three sides to any story. It's his side, their side, and and the truth. And somewhere in between that, it's like, well, what is it? And then on the other hand, it looks like he's been completely shut down and, and cancelled because of his views. And it's scary how quickly that can that sort of thing can, can happen without being investigated or anything like that. It's like the media has, has shut him down. They've decided. Judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so I've been giving a lot of thought to this whole Russell Brand thing. And I think where these people who get cancelled or taken down, what they don't realize is that as their profile increases, so too does the media focus on them. And one of the analyses that I was looking into was that they actually started investigating Russell Brand three years ago which was off the back of what was going on with the Me Too movement. And a lot of these issues were actually raised three years ago, some of them a little some time before. So I don't think to the extent that they have for him to say, oh, they're coming after me now because of X, Y, or Z. I disagree. I think it's just taken them this long to put together a compelling case. And the reality is, once again, people are falling over themselves to justify it and say, well, he was a rock star. He was living a rock star life. And it just goes back to this thing. Well, back in the day, that was completely acceptable. And I've always taken the position that I don't think it's ever been acceptable. I don't think that kind of behavior, regardless of who you are, and how much power you have. I don't believe that that sort of behavior is warranted. So no, I don't forgive him for that. I also don't believe that for him to turn around and say, yes, well, I was on drugs and I was not in my best place and I acknowledge that I did some terrible things, but I've tidied up my life now and people are rushing to his defense and saying, but he's tidied up his life and he's got a wife and children and now he's just a family man. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm happy for you, Russell Brand, that you've managed to pull your life together. But what about the people whose lives you destroyed? For them, they haven't managed to put their lives back together to a large extent. And I think that's where there isn't really a time limitation on being held to account for the stuff that you've done. Because something like that, I think, desperately affects people's lives and yeah well done Russell for pulling yourself up and getting out of it but have you made amends he's very much the poster child if you like for the anonymous anonymous group narcotics anonymous and alcoholics anonymous and I've heard some of his sharing sessions from alcoholics anonymous and yeah it's great that you have straightened yourself up and you've sought enlightenment but one of the key steps in alcoholics anonymous is to make amends for the pain you cause when you were in that state and I don't he seems to have missed that step altogether doesn't seem like he's made amends otherwise those people wouldn't be saying well yeah he reached out to me was a terrible thing but he's helping me and he's got me therapy and we're working through it and I appreciate everything he's done to make up for what happened and you're not getting any of those stories it's like he's well I'm clean I'm good I'm moving on and to hell with the waste and detritus that I've left in my wake. So do you still think it's just because they want to pull him down? I don't think it's just because they want to pull him down, but he is a critic. And like you say, this has probably been a long time in coming and he probably deserves it. But it's just what annoys me or what nags at me is the things that he says about the state of governments and things like that around the world. He's a mouthpiece for that now. And it seems like there's a reaction to target him and, and take it out. And he probably deserves to be. The point is that he's in the limelight. And as we've discussed many times before, and this links back to Suela, these people are in the limelight. 
basically everything that they say gets dissected under a microscope and people that get to that sort of stage don't think about that they just think about their ego and yeah if you're in the public eye you've got to watch what you say and do and like you say there doesn't seem to be any making of amends that he's done he's got over his his issues and he's making a living out of that but then you still have to reflect on the lives that he has destroyed that was an interesting point you made at the end there. well every point you made was interesting <laughs> but right at the end there where you were saying that he's become famous because of his previous notoriety and he's leveraged that to build a platform i think in terms of the things that he's saying i think i agree that he's questioning a lot of the narrative and i think we should should all question the narrative and and we're probably going to talk about that next anyway. But I do think that we need to give some thought to the fact that we want to listen to the message, not the messenger. As a society, we tend to take down the messenger to discredit the message. And that's the halfway point, if you like, between your point and my point, which is just because they're going to take him down as a miserable person for what he did doesn't change the validity of what he's saying. Because it's not like he benefited from the his perspective. It's like if you say, well... I made my millions in the banking industry, and now I'm going to take down the banking industry now that I've got all this money. And it's like, well, no, actually, give all the money back then if you're going to take down the banking industry. So it's not like the things, he's not coming out and saying rock stars have every right to behave in this abhorrent way. And he's not defending rock stars who are behaving in that abhorrent way. So he's not being hypocritical. And I think that's where we come to a point of agreement, which is that just because you might have a murky past doesn't mean that you should take down the message. You look at what they did to Jeremy Corbyn. I kept saying to people, don't focus on the messenger. It's the Focus message. on the message. What mm. is it about his message that you don't appreciate? The fact that he didn't dress well or he wasn't flash or any of those things. The, the way the media took him down, it was just insane. It's like when they went after Barack Obama for wearing brown shoes with a black suit. It doesn't undermine the validity of the message. And I think that's definitely where we tend to lose our way. So yeah, that was a great intro segment there. We're going to go away to a quick commercial break and we'll be back with more discussion right after these messages. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Many website owners don't like their website hosting company or support provider, but are too scared to move to someone else in case they lose their site or it affects their business. Based in Telford at Purple Prince Media, we will move your website to us free of charge with the best support possible. And if you're looking to start up a business, we're also here to design and build your website from the ground up with unbeatable prices on web hosting and dedicated servers. We're also certified Magento developers, which is the world's biggest e-commerce platform. So rest assured, your online business is just a click away. Drop us an email on hello at purpleprints.co.uk or visit purpleprints.co.uk to get started. Purple Prince Media, the local website company. Ever thought about having your own radio show? Well, now you can, as we're looking for presenters to join our team. No experience is needed and minimal equipment required. For more information, email info at transradiouk.com. 
Trans Radio UK. Tune in via DAB in Ireland. Download our app via your smart speaker or online at transradiouk.com. Malcolm here. Don't go anywhere as we bring you some more trucking, great music and chat here on Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. I hope that you are fed and watered and ready for the next segment. So we were talking at the end of the last segment about Russell Brand and media and how people are taken down. And that's got me thinking about how our world is so digital about how easy it is to take him down. Just on the basis of the accusations, he was demonetized on YouTube and kicked out by the BBC. Everybody just switched him off. I did used to listen to him on Rumble, which is where I tend to go if I want to hear more alternative views of the world, because obviously with YouTube, everything's extremely highly sanitized, and Rumble is a little bit more fast and loose and wild west. So I did used to listen to him on Rumble, and I used to really enjoy what he was saying. And he obviously had reach, but the mainstream were very quick to switch him off. And that just got me thinking about how, as we move more and more of our lives in to the digital realm, it becomes so much easier for us to get switched off. We had old Nigel Farage and him getting debanked. Mm-hmm. And that was physical banking. But obviously, it'll be so much easier with electronic banking. I was watching the rugby this weekend. Did you watch the rugby? I did indeed. I did indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's probably something to talk about as well. But there was an ad in the ad break for a bank. And the part of the bank ad is like one of the the supposed customers was like, but why doesn't my card have a number on it? And they were like, not to worry, it's all in the app. I was like, okay, so what you're saying is my card doesn't even exist. My number, my card number, I don't get to know what that is. Yes, I can go into the app, but if you lock me out of the app, I suppose they will have locked you out of your card anyway. But that really bothered me. It, It really bothers me how easily they can just switch you off. And I know you've got some thoughts on this. What have you been thinking? Yeah, well, if you just remember to, I think it was, was it last year, the Canadian truckers who were protesting all manner of things. And it had been going on for quite a while. And the way that the Canadian government stopped those protests was to freeze their bank accounts and to cut them off financially. And not just them, but the people who donated to them as well. Exactly. Yeah. And it's happened once. They've set a precedent is to say it wouldn't happen again. And this is what disturbs me so much about the central bank digital currency the fact that it is programmable. And we've spoken about 15-minute cities and things like that and social credit school system that's that's happening in China. It's an actual thing that happens. And if they turn around and say, you've used up your carbon quota for the week, so we're just going to block your bank account from being able to purchase a bus ticket or a train ticket or something or whatever it is. And that worries me about this digital world that we're living in. They're also saying they want to take cash away and everything's got to be digital. And just another terrible Tories over the weekend was Jeremy Hunt saying that 
they want to shake up the whole welfare system and benefits and people are clearly not trying hard enough to find a job. So I can absolutely guarantee you that they are vilifying, mark this moment because this is my prediction, they're vilifying welfare recipients to soften them up and to aggravate people against them so that when the moment arrives that they say, okay, in future, we are only going to issue you with digital currency for your benefits. And we will give you an allocation which you can use for transport, but only if you're going to job interviews. If you use the transport for anything other than that, well, you're going to have to try and figure out a way to pay for that yourself. We will let you buy groceries, but only certain types of groceries. And I was watching a thing actually on on rumble this weekend as well about how there was something about the food parcels and low-income families they used to get 30 pounds a week maybe for groceries and the tories the terrible tories thought no hang on a minute there's money we can make out of this so they said no instead of giving you 30 pounds and let you choose how you want to spend that we're going to send you a food parcel worth 30 pounds and this person had taken one of these food parcels and gone and bought the exact same things that were in the food parcel and it came to £5.60. Shocking, isn't it? It was supposedly a £30 food parcel. And of course, then you don't get the choice. You don't get, you don't, you can't like weigh things up and say, well, maybe I want a red pepper this week and not just tomatoes or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, This control system. And I'm telling you now, they're going to bring it in. First, they're going to target the welfare recipients. And I know we spoke a couple of weeks ago about my view on the welfare states and how I think it could be made more effective and how I think it would be better for people if they did feel like they were making a contribution to society. But you've got to do it with a carrot, not a stick. And the only thing the Tories seem to be capable of is swinging a stick. Yeah, I think you're you're onto something there. Like you say, we've discussed this before and there's ways that it can be improved upon to become more effective and more efficient and to encourage people, like you say, with the carrot rather than just a stick to change. And I think a a lot of the times fear is used as the stick rather than the carrot. Fear is used. We'll, We'll take away your benefits if you don't do this, if you don't do that, rather than making it more productive and more efficient and, and more attractive for people, like you say. We we spoke on that show about having to virtually sign on to the job centre every day. And from a psychological point of view, people are more apt to respond to the carrot than to the stick, aren't they? Yeah, if you offer them more for the more they do. So you get a base level, it's almost like universal basic income. So what you're saying to them is, look, at a base level, you get sustenance. But the more you do, the more you contribute, the more we are willing to give back to you. And I think that incentive needs to be there. And I don't claim to have the answers, all the answers to how I think it might work. But I do think that there should be an incentive system around it that's based on positive behaviors with young kids, you give them a positive reason for doing something rather than threatening them with punishment if they don't. If they don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I do think that's going to be the way they're going to bring it about is they're going to bring it about on the benefits recipients. Absolutely. First, yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be soon. I don't think. Well, yeah, they might think it's an election winner, actually. Now that I think about it, they very well might try to do this before the election. Certainly if they win the next election, absolutely guaranteed. The other thing which they're moving helter-skelter for is the, and again, so we're coming back to something we have spoken about before but this is the pay per mile for roads and what you were saying is yeah it it will get to i think it will get to a point where they'll say you're in you're allocated 30 miles a week that you can be on the road in your car. If it's an electric car, we'll give you 60. If it's non-compliant, you'll get 12. And if you go over that, you'll so, so you, you get that for free, potentially. Like maybe you pay £5 a month and that gives you basically the right to have a vehicle. And depending on the nature of the vehicles, how many miles you're entitled to drive around in it. But the minute you go over that, they're going to hit you with penalties. And it goes back to that old adage that fines just mean that something is legal for a fee. And if you can afford it, you're above the law because you don't mind getting the fine. That's why they brought in the points system originally, because rich people say, well, I'm going to drive my Lamborghini at 120 miles an hour and I'll pay the fine. It's fine. I can afford it. So they had to come up with another way of actually disincentivizing people from behaving like that. And hence the point system, which says, okay, well, you will lose your right to drive. But I reckon they're going to have a point system based on the, the number of miles you do, based on the type of vehicle you're driving. And that to me is, it, it just smacks of, again, overt control. And it really bothers me. And I'm an environmentalist, I agree, but I am very, I'll come right out and say it. I'll make a confession. I do believe we are contributing to climate change, but I think the climate is changing anyway for a whole bunch of other reasons. And that's probably worth a conversation all of its own around the solar minimum, global cooling, global heating periods, which have happened in the past. I think we should actually have a chat, have a talk on that one as well. That's a good idea. Yeah, I do think we shouldn't be chopping down the rainforests and burning fossil fuels the rate that we are. It does make me wonder, though, because another thing I was watching over the weekend was the JCB, the company that manufactures these earth-moving equipment and stuff, they've come up with a way to convert traditional vehicles to hydrogen, which is a relatively small adjustment to the engine and how it works. And he was saying batteries are not the answer. The answer is hydrogen. And that I think that's it. But they they don't want that. They don't want to come up with an easy way for you to take your non-compliant vehicle and make it compliant because they want to sell you a new vehicle. That's basically what it comes down to. There's not enough money in converting old cars. No, no, no. They want to scrap the old cars. And what a waste. What a what an absolute waste. The scrappage thing is just... I, I recently bought a new old car. Uh, we talked about that, my 2008 VW EOS. And despite the E in the name, it's not electric. <laughs> <laughs> it's diesel and it's non-ULES compliant. But isn't that the ultimate recycling? Because that's a whole vehicle that hasn't had to be remade. It's had four previous owners. That's four vehicles which haven't had to be replaced. You see how it's like people say, oh, it's got 15 previous owners i'm like 
well, that's a, that's a result for recycling. Isn't buying a used car the ultimate in recycling? Recycling, yeah, it is, if you think of it like that. And I don't think a lot of people do think about it like that. Yeah, it's like, oh, shame, you can't afford a new car, so you've got to go and buy an old one. Someone else has cast me down. There's not. It's recycling. Second-hand cars, third-hand, fourth-hand, fifth-hand, every extra hand that's passed through is a vehicle that someone hasn't had to make. So, yeah, honestly... That whole ULES thing. I, I, I'm going to come back to this after the break, actually, because I know we were talking about digital dystopia, and I think we will come back to that. But I did some research of my own on the whole ULES thing and King Khan and his great plan to take vehicles out of London. And there's some interesting numbers on that, which I worked out. So let's just go to a quick break. I'll rummage and find the research that I did on this, and we'll chat about it after the break. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. Are you trans and non-binary and feel like drugs or alcohol are impacting your life negatively? Why not check out Trans Sober? We're a grassroots peer support group for the community, by the community. Find us at www.transsober.org and join us online or come to one of our weekly drop-ins. We also offer other useful resources. Trans Radio UK, a global radio station. The whole LGBTQ plus community can be proud of. Did you know you can advertise with us for less than a pound a day? Call 0207 856 0584 or email sales at transradiouk.com. Win £25,000 and help truck listens at the same time. Enter the Rainbow Lottery and click Truck Listens as your chosen organisation. And not only can you win £25,000, 50p of every ticket purchased will go to Truck Listens. Please see www.transradiouk.com and click Win £25,000 for more details. Trans Radio UK is on right now. Across the UK and beyond. Now, now, more of the music you love. Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. As promised, I went away and I had a look on the Substack and I found it. Don't forget our Substack, tigergirl.substack.com. The article is titled Eulay's Carnage. <laughs> and. So just some of the stuff which I worked on at the time, I had a 2007 A200 CDI Mercedes, which at the time was 16 years old. Now, according to Auto Express, a new car creates 5.6 tons of CO2 in its manufacture. Interestingly, an EV creates 8.8 tons to create. So that's just in the creation of it. So when you buy a new car, you you add your 5.6 tons or your 8.8 tons, depending on the car you've bought. Then, according to caremissions.com, my car created 156 grams per kilometer of CO2. My car at the time had 79,000 miles on it. And therefore, during its lifetime, it will have created 200 tons of CO2. So for the lifetime of that vehicle, sorry, for the period of time I owned the vehicle, my carbon footprint was 205 tons of CO2. And according to energypost.eu, the environmental damage per ton of CO2 is 185 
$1,500. So therefore, buying and holding this vehicle for 16 years, I and its previous owners have cost the planet £38,036, or 2337 per annum, or £6.50 per day. Comparatively, I looked at what would happen if I bought the latest version of that vehicle, despite the fact that I couldn't afford one. If I had bought a new one, I would have cost the environment £5.70 per day. So you can therefore conclude that obviously driving the old one costs about 81 cents per day more than driving a new one, except for the fact that I couldn't afford to buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was the that was the thing that just really struck me. And I think as well, the the thing with EVs, what they don't take into account. And I do think what I think what's coming down the road for the EV owners is that the end of life of that battery is going to have to be paid for by the person selling the vehicle because those batteries are absolute toxicity to the environment. So yeah, it's all well and good while you're bombing around on the roads. Of course, you've charged it with electricity, which probably came from a nuclear power station or fossil fuels or gas or something from somewhere else. So it's not like you're net zero by driving an EV. You've had the absolute catastrophe that is lithium mining in the Congo. And then you add to that that you've now got this chunk of toxic materials that are worth nothing to anyone. And then what are you going to do? So that just really bothers me. And that's where I just think this whole getting back to the digital dystopia in the same way that they're using or will use welfare recipients as the soft underbelly in which to insert their digital currency knife I think they're going that they are well we can see that they're painting people who drive diesel and petrol cars that are old they're painting us as the baddies and they're going to use that to justify limiting how much people drive and my new old car cost 1400 pounds that would probably be about 2 months or 3 months worth of repayments on a new car and that car's probably going to last me another 5 years so just the whole thing it, it just really makes me extremely agitated what do you think Lee? Yeah, I mean, I get agitated as well. When you tie all the bits and pieces together and you really think about it, it's like, oh my goodness. Because you, you can tie that mileage limitation into the concept that we spoke about with the 15-minute cities. You can tie that concept into the central bank digital currency and cre social credit scores and things like that. And then you're starting to get totalitarian in terms of just there's people in control and then there's us and it's all about controlling us and when you add everything up it, it does become quite agitating and, and scary that this is where we might be going it's like you think about how so during lockdown there was an egg farm that was not close by but fairly close and one of the things we tried to do was we tried to diversify as much of what we were spending to go local that was a big push during the lockdown if you remember and when you had queues 
queues winding five layers deep outside Tesco or whatever, it did create an incentive to think outside that box and think, okay, how do I buy local? Where can I go just to get my basic supplies so that I don't have to go and stand in this monstrous queue outside Tesco or Asda or Sainsbury's or wherever? And in that process, I discovered a number of farm shops where you get yourself some cheese and some locally produced bread and lots and lots of veggies, obviously, eggs. Everything you need was in these little farm stores. And I still go there. It's one of the things I enjoy doing when I when I go for a motorcycle ride is I will stop by one of those farm stalls and pick up some local produce. And yes, it is a little bit more expensive, but I just feel like I'm supporting those industries. Think of all those people who like to drive to a country pub on a Sunday for a Sunday roast. Think about, there's so much attention drawn around the commuter. And don't even get me started on how they are now forcing us back into commuting, because the company I work for is now insisting that we go in 50% of our time. And so they're forcing us back into the commute, which obviously irritates me no end because on the occasions when I do go into the office I sit at a desk doing exactly what I do when I'm at home and (laughs) actually get less done because people want to come and have a chit chat with you but apparently that's also important we've got to beef up morale and all the rest of it so they want us back on the commute but these types of laws are not going to affect yes they, they impact on the commuter I think for a lot of people they commute on public transport anyway just because I have a motorcycle so it's easy for me to get in and out of London but for people who have cars obviously that's just not an option even if it was ULES compliant because you'd be paying £30 a day just for parking. So yeah, that's not an option for a lot of people. So most people I think do do their daily commute on public transport. It makes the most sense. However, what about leisure travel? What about going to the shops on the weekend? You can't do a family shop for five people on public transport. That's just not possible. And what happens when you want to go out to a country pub for a Sunday roast? You're going to have to pay extra just to get there and back. And there's not like there's public transport to some of these places. In fact, in most cases, the best country pubs to go and have lunch at aren't on public transport. Yeah, they're these little little villages in the countryside. Exactly. So those people who are saying, well, I don't drive, so I don't have a problem with that. Well, you, you might not drive. You might commute on public transport. But I guarantee you, take some time to think about how much of your, what you consume in a month that has depended upon transportation for you to get it. So your Tesco's, how do you suppose the stuff gets to Tesco? I think they use a Star Trek thing. Yeah. Energizer thing. Yeah, energize. (laughs) They just beam it in. Yeah. (laughs) That's not how the stuff's getting to your Tesco's, folks. So, yeah, uh, it just, and that comes back to this digital dystopia. Because let's face it, we've all been forced into, they've created a disincentive to go through the checkout counters, haven't they? And I I self-checkout. I know I probably shouldn't because, and I think you've made this point, because it's convenient not to. It's convenient to go through the self-checkout. It's inconvenient to use the checkout queues because I mostly just shop for myself. So I know that's sad. Cue the violins. (laughs) (laughs) so i mostly just shop for myself but the point is yeah so if i've got a a few items i don't want to be stuck behind somebody with two trolleys worth of their monthly groceries 
So, yeah, that, that's how they're going to get us, folks. They're going to get us on the convenience. Do you agree, Lee? Absolutely, because, yeah, I've got one of them Tesco scanny things and you go around, you take your bags, you scan it, you pop it in your bag and then it weighs the, the trolley and that is so convenient and whether I'm buying 10 or 100 items, I, I always use the, the scanny thing. And like you say, if you've just bought a couple of things, you don't want to be stuck behind somebody who's doing their month-end shop. So it's the convenience of it that we use it. But the more you use that kind of thing, the more data points they have on you and, and your habits and, and things like that. And I saw a, a meme the other day. I can't remember exactly what it was about, but it was like there I was just thinking of something and the next thing I've got these ads. I wasn't actually looking at a website or something like that. I was merely thinking it. And now I've got these these ads coming up and it's it's almost at that point now because they've got so much data on you. And I think this is what people don't consider when when people like us talk about these programmable digital coins that are about to hit us is that they've got all this data on you and they know and understand your your spending patterns and what you do and don't eat and, and things like that because the data is out there and it's so easy just to put a block on that because you've gone over your quota is very very easy that's such a good point yeah if, if the only way you can shop is to use the app then they can say they can validate that and say oh sorry pal but you've bought too many bottles of vodka this month <laughs> exactly well you've gone over your meat quota you've you've had too much sugar you're not having any more sugar and it takes the choice away from a sovereign individual it takes the choice away fundamentally yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back. I think we're on to something here. See you right after these messages. Oh, I love this. We continue in moments. This is good. Yes, yes. You're locked to Trans Radio UK. If you're transgender, feeling lonely and don't think there's any help available, well, now Trans Radio UK have Truck Listens, a confidential phone service just for you. On 0800... 0096640 Talk for some time and you're feeling good It's gone so much better than you thought it would And you're really glad you went and made that phone call Go on, make that call. It's a small price. To talk to someone who's both sympathetic and empathetic, call Truck Listens. 0800 009 6640. Truck Listen, 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 listen. Did you know we receive no funding here at Trans Radio UK? To keep us on air and growing, we rely on donations. To donate, please head to www.transradiouk.com and click the link. A regular payment of £20 will see you become a partner of Truck. Other options are available. Email info at transradiouk.com for details. A big thank you from all the team here at Trans Radio UK. 
the world's largest radio station for the trans community. Trans Radio UK. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings and sovereign human beings you are. What Lee was saying just before the break there was quite interesting because, yeah, this I, I've also had those situations where I've been talking about something and then it pops up in my feed. But Lee's thing about how you can just actually be thinking about something and you start getting the ads. And somebody was saying to me that that is based on AI and they said these algorithms are already so intelligent they know more about what you're planning to do than even you do so the ai knew you were going to be thinking about that how freaking scary is that and this wasn't a conspiracy theory this isn't tinfoil hat stuff it was somebody who works in the industry and I was saying, I was challenging them and saying, you guys, you track everything we do and all the rest of it. And he said that you don't even know how much data we have on you. We know what you want before you even realized you wanted it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's all about the the algorithm is designed to predict. And that's basically what like chat GPT is, whether that's artificial intelligence or not, that's perhaps a, a different conversation. But the premise of chat GPT is that it's a language model and it predicts the next sections or the next words in, in a sentence. And, and that's how it, it, it comes across as, as writing a blog article or something like that. It's all based on predictions. And if they do that for for writing and they've got all the data on us you can guarantee that they're using those same algorithms to predict what you want to do next before you know it yeah that that's that seems obvious now that you say it because yeah if, if they know what word's coming next, you combine that across the trillions of data points that they have. Why couldn't they predict what the next behavior would be? Oh, my goodness. Digital dystopia, indeed. I, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I, how do we stop it? The, the crazy thing with ChatGBT is we've let them th- in. They're like vampires. And we're letting, you have to be, the whole thing with a vampire was it couldn't come into your house unless you invited it in, right? That that principle around vampires is they have to be invited in. And they desensitized us. We all know, we all know now intuitively that we're sharing our entire social life on social media. We know that they're vampiring all over that. And this is one of the reasons I like Substack, because it's it's a permission-based thing. So people need to subscribe to see your content. You can manage who can see your content. I have no doubt that Substack is using the data in the background. But the thing which I find so invidious is with ChatGBT, people have downloaded this because they think it's fun. And what it actually is, is just a massive global survey. Because they can take what people are asking ChatGBT to do to predict what people are going to ask chat gbt to do <laughs> and it does you think about it like we've spoken about ai before and the impact it's likely to have on society as a whole because one thing it was always promised this grand industrial and technological revolution was supposed to mean that we had more spare time and as we've seen despite us existing in a technological society where you can work from home they still don't want to let you do that they still want you to spend four hours a day i was working it out basically a day day a week 
just sitting on public transport. So this grand industrial and technological revolution that was supposed to increase the amount of time we could spend with our families, that hasn't happened. All they've done is they've taken that and they've demanded greater productivity. So now they just want more from you rather than saying we were happy with what you were doing before. The fact that you can maybe do it in a four-day week. Well, that's great. Take a three-day weekend. And they no, 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 no. If you can do in four days what you previously used to do in five, then we want you to do something extra on that fifth day. So now we want 120% productivity out of you and i've forgotten what the point i was getting to <laughs> oh yes so this idea that somehow ai is going to transform the way society operates and we'll have more time no 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 we'll just have a hell of a lot more poor people and it's like that movie oh i'm trying to think the one where all the wealthy people decided to just move up to us to this giant floating space station. Do you remember that? It, it, it was by the same one. people who produced District 9. And it was the sort of, just had Matt Damon in it. So basically, the, the poor people lived on Earth and basically mined resources and had menial jobs while the rich people lived on a space station and you had to have a special passport to get up to the space station. And that's where it's going to be, isn't it? It's going to be the rich, the people who manage to ride the head of the curve are going to live very idle lives and the rest of us are just going to be left to fight over the scraps, which goes back to why they're constantly trying to turn us against each other because they want us focused on each other. Not on it's it's the that meme that I'm sure you, you've seen around a banker, a banker, an immigrant and a middle-class person sit, sit down around a cake. The banker takes... 11 of the 12 slices and tells the middle class person to watch out because the unemployed person is going to steal his slice of cake. And they end up beating each other up over the last slice and the banker slice walks away with 11 twelfths yeah. of the cake. And we all laugh. And we're like, yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? Well, I don't know. It fills me with a great deal of dread just where we are at the moment. And we were talking about climate change and solar cycles and things like that. And there's this risk of a massive solar flare knocking out all our technology. And I'm beginning to think that might actually be the last, our last line of hope. Hope. <laughs> Is that <laughs> yeah, this entire... Just destroy it all. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing just burns up. But I wanted to leave things... That, that was a very down, downbeat discussion. <laughs> and... I spoke last week on my music show about a book that I just finished reading, which was Becoming Us by Hannah and Jake Graff. And I just want to put it out to you guys again. So, Lee, for your benefit, this book is about a trans woman who was, she, she was originally in her previous life, she was in the army and transitioned in the army and was actually awarded an MBE for what she did for LGBTQIA plus people in the military. So she was actually awarded an MBE and made the rank of major. Her partner, Jake, is a trans man who's done a lot of movies and media and, and things like that. And it's just a story, a really lovely story about the two of them recounting how they got to where they were to the point where they met each other. And they got married and they've had two kids and just an amazing inspirational story. So I want to just give a shout out to them again and just really encourage people to go and get this book. 
I have reached out to them. They've got a very high social media profile, so I'm not sure if I'm important enough for them to reply. But like I did with Michael Tellinger, I've asked. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So I've reached out. Maybe they'll come back to me. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So (laughs) any final thoughts from you, Lee? Yeah, I think just if we can take a moment to reflect on our relationship with the digital world that we live in, because it's not necessarily about resisting the change, but embracing it with awareness and to remember that in the midst of algorithms and screens, the important thing is that our humanity is our true north and if people can just reflect on that. Yeah, that's a really positive way to end. And we can't lose the humanity, right? We've got to just remember that we're all just sovereign human beings. And that's why I always say when we come into the show, welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings, because that's what you are. You're not your gender. You're not your sexual orientation. You're not your bank balance. You're not your job title. You are a human being. And that's transcends beyond anything, any of those titles. So with that, goodbye, beautiful and amazing human beings. I will see you next week. And it's a goodbye from me. Take care, everyone. Bye.